Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. My name is Liz Moody, and I'm a cookbook author and longtime journalist living in Brooklyn. This podcast is normally all about interviewing amazing people who are living their healthiest, happiest lives and figuring out exactly how they got there, whether it was overcoming a gut or hormone issue or sorting out their career or relationships. But today, we're actually going to take a little bit of a different approach. This will be the first edition of what I'm calling Ask the Doctor, where I have on one of my favorite functional medicine professionals and ask them all of your top questions about health and wellness. I wanted to do this for a few reasons, the first being that it can be really, really expensive to actually see a functional doctor, so I wanted to give you as much of that game-changing, health-altering information here for free as I possibly could. The second is that I have this amazing network of doctors from my years in journalism, and I wanted to find a way to share their wisdom with you, but often I'll listen to podcasts about a health topic, and I'll put in like 60 minutes and feel like I got maybe one salient takeaway, and I wanted quick, to the point, pragmatic solutions to some of our biggest health problems, so that is exactly what this episode is. My doctor this episode is the amazing Will Cole, who has been both a friend and a source for my stories for years and years. He's the author of two best-selling books, Ketotarian, which is all about doing a plant-based keto diet, and the newly released The Inflammation Spectrum, which helps people put together a custom plan to fight inflammation. He co-hosts the Goop Fellas podcast, and he's a regular source and contributor to Goop, Mind Body Green, and a number of other wellness websites. But what I love about Will the most is that he actually still spends most of his days seeing patients. I think studies are super useful, but honestly, you can only tell so much from them, and actually seeing real effects in real people is irreplaceable. So I love that Will spends so much time actually helping people see real changes with their health. Actually, okay, the thing I love most about Will is that he is the world's sweetest human, and he is obsessed with his wife and his perfect children, but... Seeing patients is still pretty high on the list. We talk about a lot in this episode. Like I said, I wanted to pack in as much information as possible. But just to give you an idea of what you're in for, here's a sampling. We talk about the top three foods that fight inflammation, lifestyle changes that take less than five minutes a day that fight inflammation, the easiest low-hanging fruits to get good quality sleep, how to balance hormones after birth control, including how long it takes and how you can clear those hormones from your body, the healthiest type of birth control, the super common drink he consumes every day for anti-aging, the three easiest ways to support hormone balance, the best workouts for anxiety, gut health, hormone balance, and more, the bare minimum you should work out, which I was very interested in, what lab tests you need to get an idea of how healthy you are and how to get them without going to a doctor, Dr. Cole's personal anxiety journey, which I was also very interested in, and what he does to deal with it, how to tell if a supplement is working and how long to give each type to see if it's actually working in your body, what to do for better gut health generally, and if you have IBS or more severe issues, and so much more. I am so excited to share this episode with you and curious to hear what you think about it. So definitely leave me a review on iTunes if you like this format and you want me to do Ask the Doctor episodes more often. We can have Will back or we can mix up the doctors. And also remember, I am still giving away my care packages of my favorite wellness goodies, things like beauty products and healthy food and more for anybody who leaves an iTunes rating and review. So just Screenshot it when you're done and share it on your Insta stories and tag at Liz Moody so I can see it. I'm picking three or four people a month, so there's definitely a really good chance that you'll win at some point. Also, 
One more quick thing. I just released my ultimate healthier Thanksgiving ebook. I'm very proud of this. This was a labor of love. It has a ton of healthy recipes for the holiday, including apps. There's a pecan brittle Brussels sprouts that is just like heavenly. I've been eating it all weekend. There's main dishes. There's a veggie one. I could not find a good vegetarian Thanksgiving main dish. There were all just things like risotto or pot pie. And I was like, that doesn't have the wow effect of a main dish. So I made my own and I'm very proud of it. And then I talk about turkey as well. And of course, desserts. I also included healthy travel tips, conversation starters that work for basically anyone, even that strange uncle that you only talk to one time of the year. And I also have my favorite drink to help digest all of that delicious food. It's only $2.99 and it is totally free to anybody who leaves a podcast review. I wanted to make this as accessible to as many of you as possible. So you can definitely check all of that out at lizmoody.com slash shop. All right, that is all that I have for you today. As always, I would love to know your reactions to this episode. So please screenshot and tag me at Liz Moody and Will. He's at Dr. Will Cole on Instagram so we can continue the conversation. Enjoy. All right, today I have Dr. Will Cole on the podcast. I have known you... God, how long have I known you at this point? Long time. I think lifetimes. <laughs> we first met in the <laughs> Mesolithic era. Um, we worked together when I was an editor at MindBuddy Green, and I feel like you were awesome because whenever I was like, I have a question, so I will write an article about it, and you would solve all of my health issues. So I thought it yeah. would be really fun to have you come on and solve all of our listeners' health issues today. I'm ready. So we asked everybody on Instagram to share their health issues, and we were like, there's no issue too hard. I asked Will if he wanted all the questions in advance to prepare, and he said no. That's right. I like on the fly. <laughs> but this is what you do all day sort of in your practice, right? Yeah. So my day job is consulting patients online via webcam, and I don't get I don't know what questions I'm going to be asked. Well, and it's like, I always think of it as like detective work because it's people come to you after they haven't been able to figure out what's wrong with them for a really so long much. time, right? Yeah. So it's, I, my main of my, like bulk of my patients are people that, as you said, they're people that have done a lot of work on their own. They've had to be their own health investigators. So they know more than the average person. And despite all the good things they're doing, they're still not where they want to be. Uh, so I'm used to the the nitty gritty for sure. Do people like correct you? Or are they like, oh, I read this on, oh, that's Bella. <laughs> we were like waiting to see if Bella was going to settle down before we started recording because she's the loudest cat on the history of the planet. Um, but she, she will, she will. Uh, do you get people trying to like stump you and be like, you know, I read this on Google, so you're probably not right, doctor. Yeah, I have a lot of Patients that look at research and show me research and we have a discussion. I like informed patients. I like having a discussion and I like really um, being being informed, but also informing people and having an open, co honest conversation. I feel like part of the problem for people in mainstream medicine when they're going through that process is not being heard, not being listened to. Bella's meowing and I just paused it and Will was like, we can call it a podcat, <laughs> which she's our podcat. She's our podcat. She's going to be quiet now. Okay. So we're going to try, we're going to be informed patients and we're going to try to stump you. Okay. 
So also, I want to mention, I'm going to probably mention this in the intro, but I want to mention anyways that you've written two books because some of the questions are about keto specifically. So you wrote a book called Ketotarian, which is a vegetarian take on a keto diet. Um, And then you wrote a book called The Inflammation Spectrum, which is all about inflammation and how to fight that. And I think some people on my Instagram are your fans because we have stuff about that. So we'll start with something similar to that. So I know that Dr. Cole is a keto fan, but take all labels off and just tell us the foods that fight inflammation. Yeah, that's a good question to start off with. Well, the inflammation spectrum, the book, it has, it's not a keto book at all. Um, I talk about this concept of the inflammation spectrum, like this continuum of like from low grade symptoms to diagnosable health problems and everything in between in ketotarian because beta hydroxybutyrate, the ketone downregulates these inflammatory pathways and brings up these antioxidant pathways. So we had that discussion in Ketotarian, but the Inflammation Spectrum book is a deep dive in all the other things that help to lower inflammation levels. Uh, Food things and non-food things, just as you know. I mean, it's not just about foods. We talk about stress. We talk about sleep. We talk about social connection. We talk about screen time and toxins and all these other things that impact inflammation. So I'm definitely not like as a functional medicine practitioner, I'm not a ketogenic doctor. We use it as a tool when it's appropriate. We use it in a, as a tool that works for the person on an individual basis. And I see it, the ketogenic diet, just so the person asking the question is clear, To gain, I use it as a tool to gain metabolic flexibility. And most people are always in sugar burning mode and they don't even have the potential or the ability at this point to become a fat burner. So the way I advocate it in ketotarian is just to get some metabolic flexibility, burn fat for fuel, get the brain cognitive improving benefits and the anti-inflammatory benefits. But then you could do a cyclical approach or moderate your carbs or do it when you want to sort of a down-regulating inflammatory like experiment for yourself. So um, I don't think that everybody should be in ketosis forever and ever. That's definitely not what I write about in Ketotarian. It's not how I even eat. So in the inflammation spectrum, the goal of the book is to find out what your body loves and what your body hates. We are all different. It's the heart of functional medicine. It's bioindividuality. So I can name some anti-inflammatory foods, but they could be problematic for some people. So I really want people to go through the experiment in the book to really find the food medicines that their body loves. But with that said, there are some things that their scientific literature points to being anti-inflammatory. Turmeric, which most people know about. Yeah, that's like the famous one. It's the famous one (laughs) because there's hundreds and hundreds of studies done on it. But the curcuminoids, the curcumin uh, curcumin, uh, oils are all good at downregulating inflammation. Okay, two more. How about? Okay, second one, let's say pterostilbean, which is like resveratrol. That's the one that's like pterodactyl, right? Where it has a yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, it's like the it's like pterodactyl uh, phytonutrient, but it helps to help lower inflammation levels too. And what, that's in blueberries, I want to say? Yeah, it's in different plant foods, but you can get pterostilbean supplements supplement. as well. That's concentrated, just like the curcuminoids are standardized for so you have a higher potency and bioavailability, the same with pterostilbean. Okay. And third, let's say adaptogenic mushrooms because they are good anti-inflammatories as well. Do you have favorite mushrooms? Yeah, lion's mane, specifically for the brain and its ability to improve brain cognitive function and lowering neuroinflammation and chaga. 
from an immune standpoint. Those are two of my favorite. Could you give us, you just mentioned that there's like a lot of other stuff in the book. Can you give us like three very low hanging fruit ways to fight inflammation? Like stuff maybe that would take less than five minutes a day that you could change today that would fight inflammation? Food or non-food ways. Either anything that like literally is less than five minutes a day. Okay. It won't affect your life that much. So food wise, start leaning into bringing in more healthy fats. So things like avocados, olives, avocado oil, olive oil, um, wild caught fish are all good at calming inflammation levels. Um, increasing vegetables and lowering sugar. Let's put that as one. Uh, I think that especially from a digestive standpoint, people should be cooking their vegetables and having them soft and cooked in stews and soups or at least, you know, sauteed to some degree to make them more bioavailable and digestible, the nutrients that they do have. Because a lot of people have impaired gut problems. They're not handling raw vegetables very well. Um, but having focusing on that, and those are ketotarian principles for sure, but we talk about it in the inflammation spectrum too, not in the context of ketosis, but just lowering inflammation using these food medicines. Some non-food things would be um, bringing in acts of stillness into your life, whatever that means. It's, it's things like Tai Chi, things like mindfulness meditation, things like yoga, cultivating a daily practice of stillness in your life, whether that's just getting a cup of tea and having 15 minutes to yourself to just be and use the tea as a form of meditation, which is quite a, you know, an ancient practice. Um, but I think bringing those acts of stillness in your life is profoundly important from a down-regulating inflammation standpoint. And then another non-food thing, which is a really low-hanging fruit, but should be mentioned, is getting quality sleep restorative sleep. I don't think that's a low hanging fruit. I think that's like, I think there's this interesting sleep movement happening where everybody is like, oh, if we just tell you that you need to get enough sleep, you will. Like, it's just that people sort of forgot that it was important. But for me, working in the wellness world, I never had any sleep issues until I started reporting on and doing a lot of work with sleep. And then I had sleep issues because in my head, like if I woke up a little bit in the middle of the night, I used to um, read like magazines on my tablet and I'd be like, no, you can't do that. And then I'd be like, no, you can't be in your bed anymore. You need to go to the couch so you don't, uh, you know, associate your bed with not sleeping. And I had all of these things in my head that put all this pressure on having high quality sleep and then I couldn't sleep anymore. Interesting. Um, You're so, stressing about the whole yeah, thing. And I think for me, any sort of sleep issues I have are completely anxiety related. Mm -hmm. um, and so then adding that anxiety to sleep was hugely problematic for me. Yeah, and um, a, it is a problem, but people need to get restorative sleep. Just one night of poor sleep has been shown to increase high sensitivity C-reactive protein, a, the inflammatory biomarker, just one night of poor sleep, let alone the epidemic of sleep problems that people have. Are there low-hanging fruits that you think can help people get good sleep? Yeah. We're going to have to renegotiate our relationship with technology. I think that's a, a major problem. So whether that's blue light blocking glasses, like those amber colored glasses to, uh, and to positive, positively improve the circadian rhythm, um, or turning off your technology before bed, an hour before bed, two hours before bed. It's not possible for everybody or not desirable for everybody, I should say. Um, but it's something that one should consider if they're not getting the sleep they're looking to get. Um, and then improving what we call sleep hygiene, but it's really just practices uh, that are improve circadian rhythm, the, the serotonin converting into melatonin and properly, you know, have, uh, supporting a good night's sleep. So I love essential oils at night. You can put some on your pillow like lavender 
or other things that are calming to you, just find maybe a smell that you like that's that's calming. But lavender, pretty well researched to be beneficial there. And I have like a blend with orange peel and lavender and probably elong elong. I think that's what's in there. Um, and you can have it diffusing, obviously. You can put rub some on the bottom of your feet. You can put some under your nose. Um, and you at the me, at the beginning state, you can bring in sort of a mindfulness app like Calm or Headspace, and they have specific sleep apps too. Um, and then once you get the hang of it, you don't need the app. And maybe you should put the technology away uh, and just do it without it. And what if you do all that stuff and you lay down and like your mind is racing and you just can't fall asleep? I think breathing um, exercises can be quite therapeutic to break the thought pattern for a lot of people. It's not going to do it for everybody. And there's people that have legitimate anxiety, anxiousness issues, and they should be digging into what's driving that. Oh, we're going to talk about anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about it. You better believe we're going to talk about anxiety. What type of, are you a big, do you like, my dad likes, um, my dad's psychologist. He likes the like three, five, eight, I yeah. think, or four, five, eight. Yeah, timed breathing exercises or the box breathing. I think that those are good. And I, what's been a game changer for me sleep-wise has been a gravity blanket or a weighted blanket. Oh, my God. I have one, too. I Which which brand do you have? Do you know? I'm not sure. Do you have – the gravity one is a brand. Yeah, okay. So that's, I guess that's it. Yeah, yeah. I have the Barabee one, which this is not sponsored at all, but it's, it's – um. Like it looks like a big knit blanket, but it's made of cotton. And I love it because it doesn't. All the other ones I've had have had little beans inside and they mm -hmm. make like a crinkly noise as okay. you turn. I don't know if the gravity has that, but this one doesn't. It's just like soft cotton. Okay. And I love it. It's made so much of it. Do you sleep with one every night? Yeah. And then when I travel, like I'm in New York right now, I don't sleep as well when I'm in a hotel. So I'll normally ask for like... Uh, two beds and like and then you'll take the I'll thing. take yeah and will you make the um room like freezing then uh yeah i normally have the the room colder is there anything else you do to sleep well when you travel because i find that such a hard thing i yeah. have like my little white noise machine yeah oh, i have that i have i have an app on the phone but we actually know my kids have the little machine it's like a circular machine we got on amazon that is nice you can have it plugged in or not plugged in and it's a white noise machine basically to to um you know dampen the sounds outside to make it more conducive to sleep so those are the, my top things that i do and i know some people have legitimate sleep disorders that and those are the people i typically consult so the things that i'm talking about for them they may help but they're probably going to need more of investigation of what's driving that right but just as like a basic. Just a basic starting point to try those things. Okay. Let's talk about hormones. A um, lot of questions about balancing hormones after birth control. First of all, can you speak to, do you think when you go off birth control, you're like good to go? When you go off an IUD, you're good to go? Or is there a length of time that it takes to rebalance your hormones after? This is something that I see a lot. Why either women are considering coming off of birth control, have just come off of it, or have been off of it for a long time and their periods are not back. So amenorrhea or a lack of periods, something that I see all the time for various different reasons, one of them being, okay, post-birth control, this hasn't come back. It takes time. Look, some people, it doesn't take time and it's a quick response and the cycle comes right back. They're some of the lucky ones. 
those aren't the people that I'm consulting. So I don't know the statistics completely because I'm seeing the people that you have a skewed sample. I have a skewed sample for sure. Um, But they're the people that it's not coming back. Uh, And we have to look at their hormones. We have to check in. We typically do some blood tests and we do urine and saliva, like a Dutch hormone test to get a really in-depth perspective. A Dutch hormone test? Yeah, they call it Dutch, which is an acronym for like dried urine Something, yeah. Something that's not as nice sounding as Dutch. <laughs> it sounds so European, but it's <laughs> really just dried urine uh, and saliva. Um, so we're looking at all the estrogen metabolites, E1, E2, and E3, looking at progesterone. We're looking at the balance of estrogen to progesterone and testosterone levels and cortisol levels. All of those sort of uh, interconnectedness of female hormones and hormones at large. Um so I'm at home. I can't afford functional medicine practitioner. I can't afford these tests. Or can I? Can I just go ask for these tests if I'm not seeing a functional? The blood tests, yeah. So the blood tests are actually quite low cost. Does Your- insurance cover them? Insurance will cover them most of the time, depending depending on people's insurance carrier. Everybody has different plans, but yeah, oftentimes insurance will run the oh, run those with the proper ICD-10 codes on there and the proper coverage. Um, now. Blood is not the best when it comes to hormones. Blood is a okay. literal just a snapshot in time. So when you're talking about your cycle, where were you at at 8 a.m. on the Thursday that you got the lab? Like you don't know where you're at the other 23 hours uh, and 59 minutes where you're not getting tested and then let alone the whole 28 or so day cycle okay. or longer or shorter. So it's really not extremely helpful from a female hormone standpoint. It's okay from a thyroid standpoint. We look at thyroid hormones via blood. We look at the total and free. It's quite helpful. We look at things like free testosterone and total testosterone, which is appropriate for women too, via blood. Um, But estrogen and progesterone and luteinizing hormone, FSH, all of these hormones are not the most, it's not the most practical uh, and like real life, like what the heck do I do, do with this data on a lab? Uh, standpoint from blood alone. So okay. that's why we do the urine and saliva. But I mean, there's a, to say I, we are making a huge effort in our clinic and, and other functional medicine clinics to improve the accessibility and the affordability of these tests. But if I'm just at home, I definitely can't afford anything. I have not had my period in six months since I went off the pill. What would you recommend I do? Well, it's if it's been six months and the body's not cleared out those hormones, and your body is, you've given your body a decent amount of time to rebalance. And which is how long would you say? I would say six months to a year is a decent time for us to say, okay, we've given the body some time to sort of clear out and do the proper you know, uh, recalibration aspect of coming off of a pill. I think at that point, you're going to want to find a functional medicine practitioner. If you can't, look at the foods you're eating. Obviously, um, you have to be uh, supporting healthy hormone balance from a food standpoint. A lot of people have higher inflammation levels, which are impacting their receptor sites for their hormones. So a low cost, very low cost thing would be something like a book um, where we talk about hormone imbalance in the inflammation spectrum. So in lieu of running labs and actually knowing for sure, for sure from a doctor, I think a low cost, something like a book would be a good thing because they can kind of see in that I designed the book the start of the book starts with the quiz. It's adapted from questions that I ask patients. So I'm not there in the book form, but you can go through the methodology of looking at your hormones and kind of seeing, oh, where am I at on the inflammation spectrum? And that specific hormone section on the inflammation spectrum may be higher for this person that has gone six months without a period. And then they'll have their own hormone toolbox and they'll have a food plan that's 
tailored to that approach. So that's why I wrote the book is for people that don't want a functional medicine doctor, can't have access to it, aren't ready for it, whatever reason, um, they can start making changes in their life. And we look at food, we look at non-food, we look at lifestyle changes that can support hormone balance by lowering inflammation and getting those receptor sites to pick up the hormones appropriately and helping the brain speaking to the endocrine system appropriately. Both of those, both the resistance pattern on a receptor site and a brain, adrenal, brain estrogen, brain ovarian axis, brain thyroid axis has to do largely with inflammation. Okay. So we're going to unpack some of the lifestyle stuff for hormone balance and all of that in a second. But first of all, is there anything you can add into your diet or supplement routine to help clear um, artificial hormones from your body after you go on the pill? Yeah, for or sure. Or off the pill? Yeah, coming off the pill. So yes, uh, br bringing in uh, green, different types of greens, uh, like Bitter greens can help with liver uh, function. And milk thistle is another one that can help upregulate li uh, liver detoxification pathways. And acetylcysteine, uh, which is another cofactor you'll get, you can get by itself, or you can get it in blends of different detox blends. So those are a couple. What are your thoughts on the pill in general? I think it obviously should be readily um, accessible and available and affordable for women who want to do that. I just feel like there's a lack of open, honest dialogue with the patient and their doctor about it. And I think to have informed consent and to be properly educated, you have to know both sides of it. You have to know, hey, this could happen. And I don't think it's go happening. It's just like, oh, take this. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times it's, oh, take, like I was given the pill when I was 15, uh, not because I was having sex, but just because I don't even like, think maybe I had a slightly irregular period or something, but it wasn't even like a real, they were just like, oh yeah, here, have this pill. And yeah. I didn't have sex till three years later. So it was just like, yeah. oh, that's three years of it's having so the hormones common. in my body. So yeah. common. It's just whatever reason, whether it's cycle irregularities or painful menses or skin issues, whatever, or contraception, they're just flippantly given it without uh, education. And, and I think that there has to be a discussion to really understand what you're getting into potentially. What do you think is the best option for birth control for women's health these days? I would say condoms. Okay. Uh, and that's would be without a doubt the most beneficial for women's health. Um, maybe not men's. Yeah, pleasure. maybe not. <laughs> but and like there's a conversation there, and that's definitely leaving it up to somebody else for your own, you know, contraception which not everybody likes that. But I would say definitely the least insulting to the women to women's physiology. The second best would be a copper IUD. And I say that with reluctance. I just say that because it's non-hormonal. It's still causing irritation. It's still causing low-grade inflammation. It's still impacting your hormones. Well, and we had another woman on this podcast, Courtney Swan, who's Real Foodology on Instagram. Um, and it's a really great episode if you want to listen to it. But uh, she had copper toxicity from her mm. IUD and had a ton of symptoms and ended up having to get it taken out. Yeah, no, it totally can happen. <clears throat> and those are the things we monitor uh, as far as heavy metals are concerned. And that doesn't happen to everybody. But I think in general, it's still disturbing physiology in a way that is not going to be good. But I see. I think it's generally less problematic from a coming when you come off of it. I see the your cycle come back quicker than the hormonal ones. Than like the merino or yeah. the pill. Okay. And then let's talk about hormone balance. I want to do some like, and some more of those like low hanging things. If you had five minutes in your day right now 
and you were sort of worried about your hormones and you just wanted to do a few things that would make them, that would support hormone balance, what would you do? Uh, hormone, things that I would do for hormone balance? Yeah. Low hanging. Okay. Easy thing. So super easy things. I definitely go back to the hormones. You have to have healthy fats for healthy hormones. So going back to those healthy fats that I mentioned earlier, wild caught fish, avocados, olives, grass-fed beef. Um, some people don't do well with lots of grass-fed beef, but you know, have bring that into your life from a B vitamin standpoint, an iron standpoint, a bioavailable form of iron. Uh, that said, and and fish offer, offers that as well for more of a pescatarian option. Um, and I would say I'm a fan of, from a hormone balance of adaptogens. And there's quite a bit of research, both in the, re the scientific literature and just anecdotally, just seeing. Specific ones? Yeah, Tulsi. I love Tulsi. Me too. Is, does Tulsi tea, like that's what, so it's holy basil tea or Tulsi tea. I drink um, like Organic India has one and Paka has one. Is that like enough to make a difference if you're drinking like an herbal tea? Yeah, or? totally. I, I think when you look at certain studies, you will see like a couple cups of day. Uh, oftentimes, it's oh, like, I drink it all. Like I, oh. I drink like twelve cups of caffeine-free tea a day. <laughs> you're living the dream. Yes. <laughs> She's floating right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like so. Even just in like a tea versus supplement, it's enough to sort of make a difference. Yeah. Oh okay. yeah, and that's how in traditional Chinese medicine and. In Ayurvedic medicine, which is where Tulsi or holy basil was, was traditionally used, that's how they typically are given in teas. And a lot of times they're loose leaf teas and then you push you, them down. And you also like steep them for long. That's time. my thing with caffeine free. So with like green tea, black tea, you don't want to steep them forever because they just taste really bitter. But with caffeine free tea, you can make sort yeah. of like a decoction and steep it yeah. for ages. So I always, my tips for caffeine free tea is always to, uh, I'll boil it for like a while and with the lid on so the stuff, the yeah. volatile oils don't escape. And then I'll it'll sip it as like a much stronger, like 10 minute boiled. Oh, that's brew. good. Yeah. Yeah. If uh, I'm, if it's also nice because you can forget about it like you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and that's funny. I, I drink the caffeine tea. I live on the wild side, but I love it because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, I like the bitter. I like the longer, steep black tea and green really? tea. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Tell everybody your, I love, he has this Earl Grey. I was interviewing you for, I think your last book. And you said your old gray trick. And I thought that was yeah. like the funnest. And then I wrote an article about it. Did I made you like, yes. right? Yeah. I was like, yes. this is great. Everybody needs to know. So tell everybody your yeah. old gray tea. So Earl Grey tea is black tea with bergamot in it and sometimes like lavender notes as well. But uh, bergamot is a citrus from Calabria in Italy that's been shown in the scientific literature to enhance something called autophagy, which is if you break that word down, autophagy, it's self-eating. It's your healthy cells gobbling up and recycling the dysfunctional mess up cells so it's your body's own like recycling system it's your body's own anti-aging mechanism it's your body's own anti-inflammatory anti-disease mechanism so earl gray tea does that both from a bergamot standpoint and a catechin standpoint like the polyphenols in the black tea and fasting does that too so i do time restricted feeding or intermittent fasting uh, in the morning most days like today i am um where i would just have tea like I'm, you made me some green tea, so I'm having that. Or I'll have Earl Grey tea or black tea in the morning. But normally Earl Grey tea is my jam in the morning because of that. So fasting, ketosis, and bergamot all has been shown to increase autophagy. And if you wanted to increase autophagy, and I don't um, drink caffeine because of my anxiety, um, would uh, like rooibos Earl Grey work? 
Yes. It's just I, anything with I've a never ha- I've never had Rooibos Earl Grey. Oh, yeah. It's great. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I need to try that. It's like delightful. So I've been telling people just to get the bergamot essential oil and just adding it to Oh, my God. I get so nervous about um, consuming essential oils. Like, just because, yeah. like, it, you really want the tiniest, tiniest, you don't tiniest need that amount, much, right? Like a drop. And then, it, yeah, I just get, I get very nervous about yeah, it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you have to make sure it's pure and it's food grade and all the good stuff. Are there ones you recommend? Yeah, doTERRA's brand. I use doTERRA's bergamot oil. Okay. Um, but, yeah, make sure that it's certified you know, pure and food grade and meant to be ingested. Um, so do your research on that. Um, so yeah, I, I think for hormones, polybasil, and, and the other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, some other ones like Shishandra, which sounds like someone's name and, uh, Shilajit are two other hor- uh, adaptogens that are widely recognized to be good at hormone balance. Okay. Um, and those, are those just like supplements you'd want to take? Typically. You could get those in teas as well. Okay. I don't see them very often, but if I you- I think Pekka makes one with um, Sheila G. Okay. Like. And they have, like, I know a brand that sells like in liquid form. It was amongst other ingredients too. It's quite bitter tasting. So I think supplements may be appropriate there. Um, capsules or powders, you can mask it in other things. Um. And what about like, is there a best workout for hormone balance versus inflammation versus like anxiety? Or is there just like one universal workout that you think is best or is the best workout just like one you'll do? Yeah, I do agree with that. I think the best workout is the one that's sustainable for you and brings balance to you and doesn't stress you out. So for some people, it's, you know, going and doing burst training and like orange theory or something like that. And for some people... That's going to stress them out and cause problems so they're not there athletically. Um, so they need to do something more gentle. Um, but I, yeah, I think the sweating and moving, getting cardiovascular work, getting oxygen in your body, improving brain-derived nootropic factor, BDNF, low, that helps to lower inflammation levels, uh, which is really good from a hormone balance. Again, that brain, hypothalamic, pituitary, adrenal, ovarian, thyroid axis, um, and helps with cellular receptor site sensitivity because it's also enhancing autophagy too and the more you move. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. Let's talk about the holidays. This is one of my absolute favorite times of year because it's all about coming together over amazing, delicious food to nourish our bodies and our relationships. I always spend Thanksgiving with my mom's family in New York and Christmas with Zach's family and my dad in California with a sneaky bit of Hanukkah thrown in the middle. So I have ample opportunities to celebrate. One of the brands that I really rely on during this time of year is Simple Mills, who makes some of the best grain-free snacks and baking mixes out there. On Thanksgiving, I love to put out a super simple cheese board for people to nosh on throughout the day because otherwise people get really hangry by the time the actual meal rolls around. I use the Simple Mills grain-free crackers. I love the cracked black pepper almond flour crackers, and I also love the rosemary and sea salt ones and the sun-dried tomato and basil for like the perfect cheese board spread. All of the crackers are fully free of grains, soy, corn, dairy, gums, and emulsifiers, plus they have way more protein than typical crackers, which helps keep that hanger at bay. I'll put those out with some pastured cheese, some plant-based cheese, and some dried cranberries, and maybe some pecans to keep it seasonal. And then everyone can graze throughout the day and I don't have to prepare any more food for them. I also love to use the Simple Mills grain-free pizza dough to make the world's best Thanksgiving leftovers meal. This is truly game-changing, okay? 
you can just top the pizza dough with everything you have left from the night before, whether it's pastured turkey or mashed potatoes or cranberry sauce or stuffing. I also love adding any fresh herbs I have around. It is so good and so easy, and you can whip it together even if you're so tired of cooking that you never want to see your kitchen again. I honestly like it more than the actual Thanksgiving dinner, and there's something so lovely about how casual that day after is, and you can really enjoy hanging out with your family and friends and sharing pizza and stories and jokes. You can get a whopping 20% off your order on simplemills.com by using the code HEALTHIERTOGETHER20. That is the number 20. Do not write it out. Healthier Together, like the name of this podcast, 20, like the number 20 on simplemills.com. Use that when you check out and you'll get 20% off. And if you make anything, definitely tag me and at Simple Mills on Insta. I want to see and compliment your work. I will be sharing a few of my favorite ways to use their mixes on Insta over the next few months as well. So definitely let me know if you have any requests. I would love to make something for you. They are one of my all-time favorite brands, and I cannot wait for you to try them. I know that you'll love them too. All right, let's get back to the episode. So if you just like go for a walk for 20 minutes every day? Is that like, like what's the the barest minimum workout that is still sort of supporting all the stuff in your body you want supported? It depends on what your baseline is. So if someone's coming in and they have done nothing, I would just say leaning, lean into whatever you're doing and progress. So try to sweat, I think is a good barometer for where you're at fitness wise. So someone's sweat threshold could be a lot lower. I mean, if they're not moving at all, they could just walk up and down the steps twice and they'll sweat. Okay, that's good. They're starting to move. For some people that's going to be nothing and they should progress a little bit more. So wherever you're right now, wherever you're at right now, I would say find the the, the sweat threshold uh, and do that consistently. And is there an amount of time you think is the minimum that people should be spending per day and yeah. per week? I would say 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes would be kind of the lower end of the threshold of what you should be doing moving wise. Not everybody is going to even be there right out of the gate. Probably most of your listeners will be, but I'm just thinking of people out there. They can't. I, I like, I was not a worker out or I was very much like food filtered, like water, non toxic beauty, all of that for so long. And I didn't start working out until I ran into my sleep issues, which was probably like two years ago. And it's only okay. been in the last year I've made it regular in my life. So I do think sometimes it's interesting to me the things that are the last thing for people. And working out is, it's so easy to swap all your beauty products. It's so hard to be like, get up off the couch and go yeah. do this thing for 20 minutes every day. It is. Yeah. But I think there's, that's why I like working out from home because there is, some people need that accountability and they need to get out and like go have someone hold them accountable. I'm, I'm going to do it or I'm not going to do it. So uh, I like, um, I used the TMAC Fitness, our friend Todd McCullough, um, he has some great workouts online. And I like he's like really nice to look at. Yeah. And I don't think of that so much. But <laughs> he is a he is a stud. I have to he is a stud. <laughs> he's a massively tall stud. He can hold me in one of those like He they, looks they, like they, if Ken was like more buff. I yeah, feel like a Ken doll. <laughs> he could hold me in a baby Bjorn all day long. <laughs> I'm so small compared to him. Um and I like Peloton too. Oh yeah. Kate, um, 
uh, Kate Fagan. I had an episode with her and Catherine, um, and she said Peloton was like her number one purchase she I, made. I have heard that from Kate. Yeah, yeah, she's very that and oat milk. I think are her. It's her jam. Her high grade, low grade thing. Yeah, I do home workouts too. I've I've started doing this thing where I won't let myself turn on my phone until I've worked out in the morning, and I love it because the thing that always got in the way was I'd just be like sitting there scrolling social media, and then I'd be like, ugh, now I have to go to work because it's late enough in the day. So I literally wake up. It it stops that time where you're just laying in bed and like not doing anything but not getting out of bed. So I get bored in bed very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and then I go work out for 20 minutes and then start my day. And 20 minutes is just like, you can do that. Yeah. You know? Totally. It's very easy. And there's so many free videos on YouTube. On YouTube. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. YouTube is like, a, I'm such a YouTube fan. Me too. Fan. Like, um, there's so many good workouts on YouTube. So yeah. People. Yoga by Adrian is a great one. Uh, Aloe Yoga actually has a ton. So like Kaylee Alyssa, who we're both friends with, she has great workouts on YouTube that are totally free with Aloe Yoga, which like some of the best yoga classes it's I've awesome. ever done. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, what about, so my dad will get off workouts in one second, but my dad says that like high intensity has been shown in studies or high intensity interval training has been shown in studies to be specifically good for anxiety. Yeah. Do you know about anything about like specific workouts that track two specific problems or is it again, just like move your body? Uh, I would say moving body is the commonality. I, I It is fascinating of certain types of study looking at certain types of workouts, but I, I would be interested to, you know, if, if all the studies were done in different types of of workouts, you probably would find similar things. But I do agree. I think there's something to be done, something to be said for high intensity interval training or burst training or whatever you want, hit training, where you are pushing yourself to that upper limit of what your body's capable of doing, that it is uh, really activating the parasympathetic system after, like the resting, digesting, because your body is is working on recuperating post-workout in a way that I have found personally too to be very helpful for anxiety, which I've been open as you have been about ha having anxiety over the years and finding different ways to manage it. Um, okay, we'll get into that in one sec because I love like when people have found stuff that actually works for them, which yeah. is also why I like you because you have this huge background of patients that you've seen success in versus mm -hmm. just the studies. And I think that's really important. Um, but you were saying the rest and digest after working out, which makes me think about how people always feel like they need to like eat certain stuff before workout and eat in certain stuff after workout and like do it a certain time of day. So let's close out workouts by saying, should you eat before? And if so, what should you eat after? If so, what? And is there a best time of day? That's a good question. So my favorite phrase before any answer is it depends and context matters. But I would say generally speaking, uh, it depends on how long the workout you're doing and how much fuel you need. So if some people really need some extra fuel, they're going to need some calories before the workout or they're going to get uh, fatigued and tired and they're not going to have the stamina and the, the ability to the endurance to go through the workout. With that said, I think that uh, f there's some exciting research around fasted workouts. As long as you're not, I'm not talking about starving yourself, um, but just giving your body some, like not eating before a workout, even doing it in the morning before you eat anything, and then waiting a couple hours afterwards. I think that there's a good amount of research showing those morning workouts, specifically fasting workouts, or even if you can't do that, do a non-fasted morning workout. It tends to be more beneficial as far as the research is concerned. And also what I've seen clinically, it really be, it could be 
a modulator of moving your health in a positive direction in a more powerful way. But if you can't get it done in the morning, I'd rather you get it at some point in the day. So don't stress about it if you can't get it in the morning. But if you have a full day, if you're a princess, then you can fit yes. it in at any point. Go for morning. morning. Yes. For okay. those princesses out there, have at it. <laughs> I would love if I had a princess. If you're a princess and you're listening to this, can you just message me on Instagram so that I know? Yeah. Make me, Megan Markle's really into health. Yes. I'm sure she listens occasionally <laughs> when she's not doing royal things. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, okay. You mentioned that you have anxiety. I have anxiety. A lot of my listeners have anxiety. Can you talk about your sort of um, anxiety journey and a few things that have been really helpful for you on it? Yeah. So food is first for me. Um, and that's not everybody. You know, I, from a functional medicine perspective and a personal perspective, we have to see anxiety as bidirectional. In most cases, there's physiological components to anxiety. And there's a whole field of research looking at that. It's called the cytokine model of cognitive function. Basically, how does inflammation impact how my brain works? And I have autoimmune conditions on both sides of my family. Uh, I know for me, inflammation is a driver of my anxiety, at least a component to it. Uh, and I see that a lot of times with patients. I see neurological autoimmune components like reactivities, not autoimmune diseases, but autoimmune reactivities where the immune system's actually tagging something called GAD65, which is an enzyme that has a precursor to GABA, which is an, the, your anti-anxiety neurotransmitter. Uh, I see that significantly uh, in high numbers surprisingly over the course of a year um and then not everybody has that some people have other components to it so i have to look at the gut brain axis have to look at the hormonal neurotransmitter aspect chronic infections things like that um for me things that have helped me uh is food um i don't have an autoimmune condition but i have the predisposition for higher inflammation levels because of my MTHFR, uh, I have a, a basically a double mutation or double gene SNP. It's not really a mutation. It's a, a, a variant uh, for the MTHFR gene at the C677T location, which just means my body really sucks at detoxing and lowering homocysteine levels. And it's associated with different anxiety disorders and autoimmune thyroid issues and other problems like that. So... I need to make sure that I'm really supporting that gene variant and supporting overall health beyond the gene variant. Uh, so health, going back to healthy fats, going back to more of a ketotarian way of eating, and that's why where the book came to be because it's how I eat. Um, so lots of good, clean plant fats, lots of clean uh, protein, and lots of vegetables, uh, cooked vegetables primarily. So that's played a major role. And the research around ketosis and brain health is really exciting. Uh, and that was one of my favorite like parts of the book because of it hit close to home as far as the research is concerned. So that to me has been the biggest game changer. And then mindfulness meditation. Do you do 20 minutes every day type of thing? I don't do a set like schedule at all. I, I should. I'm not the best patient when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I do it throughout the day. In between consults, I do it several, like 10 to 12 times a day, but they're just whenever I need to in between consultations. So, And what does that look like? It's really based very simply on Eckhart Tolle's principles, which aren't really his principles, but he's the teacher that I've heard it through, but it's just ancient stuff. But it's just concepts of anything that's going to anchor you into the present moment. 
So whether that's breath awareness, just being still and being mindful of your breath because your breath's happening involuntarily. So you are just being mindful of your body's own rhythm. Um, what he calls inner body awareness, which is just being still and feeling the aliveness in your body or just present moment awareness and allowing things to pass through you. So meaning if there is an annoying noise, you just are having non-resistance towards it. So I've more than any book under the sun, the the new earth and the power of now have been the biggest non-food game changers in my anxiety and mental health. I love that. Um, okay, back to reader questions. Somebody wants to know how long you should wait to see if a supplement's working and if there's like a definitive way to tell that you're not wasting your money on it. That's a good question. Expensive pee is, is what would people yes. want to avoid that. Um, they could, they probably can't sell that uh, expensive pee. Yeah. But basically, it's going to take a couple of weeks at least. It depends on what supplement you're talking about. So, for example, there are adaptogens that you can see pretty quick turnaround. So let's just say a couple of days of consistent use or a couple of weeks of consistent use, most adaptogens in most people, you will see an accumulative effect, but you'll see um, improvements earlier on with adaptogens, which are basically for people that don't know, those are herbs, plant medicines, earth medicines that help to balance out stress hormones in the body and lower inflammation levels. Um, I see, like Something like CBD can take longer. So they say up to four weeks, five weeks of consistent use to really uh, allow that accumulative effect happen. And some people can notice changes really early on. And that's talking about the link liquid tinctures. They sell the vape pens, obviously, that are supposed to be more uh, short-term, immediate use. But um, So I would say a good four to six weeks for the average supplement that you're talking about. When you're in your practice with patients, do you do like one at a time or do you recommend people add in one at a time? So it depends on the person. Um, There are like during an initial intake and I'm taking health history, there are some patients where I know instinctively and based on clinical experience that they should be leaning into supplements, meaning if they're reactive to a lot of things or if, like you said, they just want to know if what's working for them or not, you can lean into things. You totally can lean into it. And that could be, you know, a supplement a week to see if you have a negative response against to it, against it for people that are really sensitive to different herbs or anything that could be in the supplement. Um, but going back to what I said earlier, if we're talking about four to six weeks of seeing changes, it's going to be a really long leaning in process. Yeah. So if we're talking some basic stuff, depends on what we're talking about. Because if you're talking about like fish oil or vitamin D or methylated B vitamins, I think a lot of those people should be on to various degrees anyways. Yeah. Are there any like supplements that you think everybody should probably be? It's those fish oil, yeah. methylated B, and what was the last? Uh, fish oil, methylated B, D, K2 would be on that list. I put these – that people kept asking me like what – are the essentials. So I put, we have that on the website. There, it's, just, it's called the collection. So it's basically a probiotic, methylated B vitamins, omega fish oil. Um, those are the top ones. And then I, I think not that everybody needs to be taking this, but I think 
adaptogens are widely beneficial because they are so safe for so many people. Yeah, I just think people, it's the the cost. I mean, I think adaptogens have become very affiliated with this sort of like hoity-toity, like fancy wellness. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that um, that's why I think people are willing to spend that money, but they really want to know that it's worth their money. Yeah, so that, that's a good point. And I think adaptogens uh, should be phased in because of that. So give Just it, to know it's like really yeah. worth your spend. So going back to the basic stuff, the D, the B vitamin, make official to me would be the top three essential things for most people. And again, you can get some of that from food. So if you're focusing on high quality nutrient dense foods, you don't necessarily need all those supplements. Um, but those are things that I would say most American or Western adults could benefit from. And then somebody else wanted to know if it's possible to be a vegetarian and not take supplements and like be a healthy vegetarian. Uh, vegetarian, yeah, you you can. Because you, if you tolerate egg yolks and ghee, um, you're going to be getting some nutrients from those. Uh, you know, something to consider would be um, B12 if you're not getting ample amounts of that. Um, Where would you find that in natural food? You're going to be getting some of that in the egg yolk. Okay. Um, but you ha- you would have to be eating a lot of eggs. And not everybody does well with eating tons of eggs. So I would err on the side of you're probably going to have to supplement um, unless you can tolerate lots of eggs. And that's beef. You, if you're going to take a supplement as a vegetarian or vegan, that's a methylated Yeah, B. methylated B complex with methylfolate, methylcobalamin, or some other methylated. Can you just briefly explain? You talked about the MT, what I like to call the mother effer gene, and yeah. then I, other people probably call it that. I'm always like, I like to call it that. Um, uh, and then we're saying methylated bees for people who don't know what the heck that means. Can you just explain that briefly? Yeah. So it's basically a form of the B vitamins that are more, make it more bioavailable. So for example, MTHFR is the gene that makes the enzyme that convert, converts folic acid, the synthetic form of the B vitamin into folate. Um, people with MTHFR, especially a homozygous double gene allele at the C67T location and not the A1298. Both of those are significant, but I have the more problematic one, which is like inhibiting that gene's function by like 70%, meaning, or or more potentially. But basically the majority of that gene is not working at optimal function, meaning if I'm taking in these B vitamins from foods, they, my body's not as good as absorbing that and utilizing that and uh, making be- best, better use of it. Uh, especially if someone's supplementing with like a B vitamin with folic acid, their body's not converting that very well with MTHFR. And isn't that also what something people would recommend for pregnancy? So then yeah. it's like you're if you're taking it for pregnancy and then not assimilating it, that's like bad news. It is not good. Yeah, so it's it's more ideal to be bioavailable for the body. So more like whole food based prenatal vitamins, you will you won't see folic acid. You will see folate in there because of that. Okay. And but in general, if people are taking a B vitamin, you recommend a methylated B. Mm-hmm. And it'll just say that on the yep, label. You'll you'll read that on the back on the ingredient section. Cool. Okay. Somebody else wants to know what they can do to improve bad allergies. So bad allergies, to me, you have to look at where the predominance of the immune system resides. And that's 75% of the immune system is in the gut. So you, to understand allergies, you have to look at the gut and what's going on there. So looking at dysbiosis, looking at any candida overgrowth, looking at leaky gut syndrome, 
looking at what what's referred to as mast cell activation, which can be contribute con, uh, a component to certain people's allergies or histamine intolerances. So we look at gene SNPs that can predispose people to this, as well as what's going on in the gut. Uh, and then other environmental exposures, so something that I find significant enough and frequent enough are mold problems in people's homes or in their car or at work or all three of those places that's basically causing a tipping point in that person's immune system where when you start emptying things from their glass, so to speak, it's not overflowing and it's not stressing out an already stressed out system. So what people should do is really look upstream uh, and find out what's causing it because allergies to me are like a check engine light. Okay, what about, this is personal, but I know I'm allergic to my cat and I have cat and I love her. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we're we're 11 years in. It's too late for me to <laughs> yeah. just put her back in the dumpster that long, she was found long in. Term, long term. Um, so like, I know she's causing my allergies. What do I do about that? Or like, if you live in a place that has a pollen that you know is going to be in the air. Yeah. I think really look, focusing on gut health and getting your immune system as, as healthy as we can be. Uh, so that's things like, uh, I, I'm a big fan of soups and stews, which I know you are as well, like really focusing on gentle things for the gut to get the gut nice and strong to have your immune system be as strong as possible. I think there's different homeopathic remedies can be beneficial to be, basically provide your body low doses of uh, irritants that can downregulate the the allergic response. Um, and acu- Where would you find that? What? Uh, health food stores. Like Whole Foods. Look for homeopathic. Homeopathic, yeah. And then speak to the person in that department and look at different blends. There's tons of different blends, but depending on the type of allergy that you have, you're going to want to go for those. And acupuncture is another one that I've seen be very beneficial for allergies. But look, if the source isn't removed, it may not be enough for some people, but if it's low grade, it, you could build up an immunity to it, a tolerance to it. The thing I always wonder is if I'm getting more positive benefits from having this like creature that I love so much yeah. in my life, because I know that having a pet is supposed to be great for you. Totally. Yeah. Um, and you're stressed and I'm, you know, your anxiety and all of that, but I also like sneeze every day. Yeah. You know, she's helping your microbiome out for sure. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Bella. <laughs> what is other, just because we talked about gut health, let's talk about a few like yes or no's for gut health thoughts on bone broth. I think it's good. Um, longer cooked bone broth can be a problem for people with histamine intolerance. Their body's not breaking down histamine, which is found a compound found in foods. So people that, we measure this on lab, but you can measure diamine oxidase levels and lower diamine oxidase is the enzyme that breaks down histamine. That can be a problem for some people. Uh, and you can measure histamine in the blood and this mast cell activation that I mentioned. Generally speaking, it's way more good stuff than bad stuff, making sure that it's good quality bones, obviously, organic, grass-fed, all that stuff. Collagen, yes or no? Same thing. It can be a problem for people with histamine issues, but generally speaking, way more good than the negatives. I like marine collagen, like wild-caught marine collagen, uh, which is from wild-caught fish. Yeah. Um, what about protein powder in general? I think it's uh, uh, something to consider for people that are more plant-based. I'm just, I always worry about like um, the heavy metals and like the other stuff in protein powder. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, definitely you want to make sure that things are tested and reputable and good sourcing and 
ones that are just very much well-respected in the space that are looking for these sort of things. That- and some people say, though, that we as a society have become like way too focused on protein and that most people are just like getting more than enough protein based on what we would have needed and sort of have. What do you feel about that? I, I do agree with that. If for somebody that's not eating a more plant-based diet. Okay. So the essential amino acids is really the the question. It's not so much protein because not all protein is created equally. So right. if you look, just look at the grams of protein, if you're measuring on like chronometer, which is a fitness tracking app or MyFitnessPal or something like that, you can look at the grams of protein and you're right. From a general macronutrient standpoint, most Americans would hit that mark, but not everybody's eat, hitting the optimal marks for the different essential amino acids that you're not getting from food. You can get that pretty pretty readily available if you're eating clean animal protein throughout the day. But if you're not eating that, if you're not having wild caught fish, if you're not having, you know, eggs, if you're not having grass fed beef, then you should look at the essential amino acids. How much a lot of questions are about sort of like how much is too much. So like, if you're eating really healthy and then you take a trip to Italy for a week mm-hmm. um, and eat a lot of pasta and pizza and or if you do like a cheat day on a Sunday, like what what is sort of something you can get away with and you're not causing a lot of harm in your body? What's that balance between like really using food as a source of pleasure and using it as a source of healing your body? So I would this goes back to bio individuality. Some people have a great tolerance for a lot of stuff. Some people don't. So the analogy that I use in the inflammation spectrum is different glass sizes. So some people have big glasses, some people have small glasses or bowls or whatever. I said cups on a podcast and like, you can't say talk about cup sizes on a podcast. So, it's like, <laughs> so I'm avoiding that completely, but uh, bowls, glasses, Anyways, that's your genetic tolerance for stressors. Some people have really big tolerance. Some people have really small tolerances and they can't get away with anything. So it depends on that because you can't change what your you can't change your bowl size. You can change what you put into it. Um, so for example, like if someone's eating like the 80-20 rule, like that's very much talked about in the wellness space, not everybody can do the 80-20 rule. They will feel horrible if they eat only 80% good and 20% whatever they want. Not everybody has that wiggle room. That's a lot of my patients. So we have to find the balance that works for your body. My goal as a functional medicine doctor is to get your body to the place of as much resilience and strength as your body will allow. Some people, based on their genetic variants, how long they've been going through health problems, uh, or just the trajectory of healing, it t- it's they're never going to be fully resilient. They're never going to be, I can do whatever I want. I can like drink, I can eat junk food. They're going to pay for that. Yeah. And then some people can. Some people can smoke and drink and eat whatever they want. And you're like, how the heck can they get away with that? You That's that's the variability. That's bio-individuality. Um, but specific to Europe, it's actually quite interesting. I see a lot of patients that are sensitive at home and then like meaning that they have obvious food reactivities at home. But when they go to Europe, they don't have it. So they can eat things they never would eat at home. They eat the baguettes and the pasta and drink the more wine in Europe and they're fine. You have to look at the glyphosate, the spraying of our crops, the hybridization of the wheat supply, and they're less stressed on vacation oftentimes. I think too. the stress is a huge thing. Like I think that because they, the, I think the glyphosate is huge, but they're also like, People are like, oh, the grains in Europe are like ancient grains. And it's like that's becoming less and less and less true with totally. time. 
But mm-hmm. I do think that the way we eat and enjoy our lives on vacation is yeah. so different than sitting in a car and like shoveling a sandwich in your mouth between picking the kids up at school, you know? Yeah. So The environment in which you eat determines the outcome in, in a major way. Yeah. Can you like um, science me into not being on my phone or watching TV while I eat my dinner? Yeah. So your body should be you, your body should be as calm and relaxed and chilled and focused on the present moment when you're eating because it's going to be activating your parasympathetic system again you're resting and digesting and if you're always being you know visually stimulated with like fomo and social media or work emails and the stress of that that's activating sympathetic nervous system which is not ideal from a digestion absorption assimilation and just optimal homeostasis in the body so, okay, to your previous point, though, it's really about like what it, it's paying attention to how you feel. So like if you eat yeah. a chocolate bar and you don't feel shitty, then there's no reason that you, I mean, you probably wouldn't want to eat just chocolate bars, but you don't need to like eliminate that from your world. Yeah. And same with alcohol. Well, I, this is really why I lean into this approach in the inflammation spectrum is to do an elimination diet approach because it's sometimes hard to tell what your center is when things are out of balance. I want people to get to a place of intuitive eating, but it's hard to eat intuitively when things are imbalanced as far as hormones and stress levels and inflammation. And it's like, is it intuition or is it hangriness? Is it intuition or hormone imbalance? And emotional eating is an intuition. You know, stress eating is an intuition. So I I would say doing an elimination diet approach and not just looking at food, but looking at these non-food inflamers that we've been talking about too, to bring your body to center. And at that point, you can reintroduce and see, oh, I feel great when I have, I don't, I feel, I love this chocolate. I miss it. I want to bring it back in. Or I feel really lousy when I have that cup of wine. I'm not going to do that. What about if somebody has disordered eating in their past, would you still recommend an elimination diet for them? I would um, in certain cases. And then for some people, that shouldn't be on the top of the list. Uh, They should just focus on real foods and do the best they can under that paradigm of using food as medicine and feeling great and loving their body enough to feed it good things. With that said, um, if you have disordered eating or have a history of that, I think it oftentimes is a good idea to work with somebody, whether that's a functional medicine doctor or a health coach or somebody that's experienced in wellness in that way and disordered eating to walk you through it because it's very easily you can go down the road of uh, orthorexia, which is stress and shame around healthy eating. And it's basically becomes like a eating disorder, again, disguised as wellness, which is a problem in our space. But With that said, I I think that you just have to make sure that you're having proper boundaries and you have to make sure that you're going in with a proper headspace. And that's why in the inflammation spectrum, for every like sobering statistic and like clinical nutrition, like fact and step and tool that you can bring into your life, I'm layering it and surrounding it with context of grace and loving your body enough to not to not feel good, like loving your body enough to feel great, loving your body enough to want to overcome feeling lousy. So it's definitely a delicate conversation. I think there's an eating disorder spectrum. It depends on what we're talking about, just from mild, you know, stress and body shame to full-blown serious eating disorders. But if it's serious, then you definitely should, should 
talk to a professional about what's appropriate for you. Yeah. Do you get a lot of people with, I think orthorexia is particularly becoming so, so much more common in yeah. our space. And I think that's something I struggle with is, um, as helping people find that boundary between mm-hmm. eating to nourish their body and feel really good. And then feeling like, oh, these foods. And I think elimination diets always are scary for me not personally, but when I talk about them with people because it's putting food groups off limits. And mm-hmm. that's the scariest thing about orthorexia for me is is putting food groups off limits for people. Yeah. And that's why the reintroduction to me is just as important as the elimination phase, because mm-hmm. I want people to see if their body feels good on it or not. Um, so when they bring it back in, how do you feel on it? And it's it to me, if something makes you feel lousy, not eating that isn't a bad thing. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. You all know that I've been really open with you about my struggles with anxiety. I shared my whole anxiety story on my Instagram, so definitely head over there if you're like, what? Liz has anxiety? But basically, I was completely agoraphobic for a while, and I still struggle with generalized anxiety disorder. While I think there are a ton of wellness practices that can help with anxiety, I truly believe in the power of therapy. And not just because both of my parents and both of Zach's parents are therapists, which is definitely a story for another day. The only problem, it can be super hard to find a good therapist, and then seeing said therapist can be crazy expensive. That's why I'm so excited to share BetterHelp with you. BetterHelp is an online professional counseling platform that I've been using for a few months now. You go on their site and you answer a few questions about the state of your mental health and what you're looking for, and then they match you with a licensed professional therapist. And if you don't like that therapist, no worries, it's totally free and super easy to change to a different one. Within 24 hours, you can be messaging that therapist, and I have been so impressed with both the quality and the timeliness of the responses that I've gotten. Beyond that, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And I have to say, I was skeptical about this at first. I thought there was no way it could be as helpful as sitting in the room with an actual therapist, but it really is. I love my therapist so much, and I also love not having to like lose an hour of my day to get all the way to the session and back. With therapy, consistency is so important and being able to fit my sessions way more easily into my weekly routine has been a total game changer. It's also way cheaper than traditional therapy, like less than a third of how much you would pay here in New York City, which I absolutely love because I do not think that taking care of your mental health should be a luxury that's only afforded to people with a ton of money. Plus, they have financial aid, so if you don't feel like you can afford it, definitely send them an email. They really want to make sure that therapy is available to all people, which they're doing a pretty good job of because there are already 500,000 people using the service worldwide. They were kind enough to give me a code so that Healthier Together listeners can get 10% off of their first month of service. Just go to betterhelp.com, that's better H-E-L-P, the word help, dot com slash healthier together to get the discount. It's really easy to sign up and you can start therapy right away, which means that you can start feeling better right away. Also, if you are struggling with mental health issues, I want you to know that you are not alone at all. So many of us are in it with you and I am in it with you. And if you're feeling lonely or anxious or depressed, know that you're not weird or damaged and you can still have an amazing, amazing life and know that I am 100% there for you. All right. Let's get back to the episode. Okay, what if somebody came to you and they're like, Doc, I feel great. Like, I don't notice anything when I eat anything. I have plenty of energy, whatever, but I just want to, like, live forever. <laughs> what do you do? Talk to Dave Asprey. I think he, he has the same goal. 
I would say a ketotarian lifestyle to me is quite compelling as far as keeping insulin lower, uh, improving autophagy levels, uh, lowering inflammation, which are all things you want to improve from a longevity standpoint. And what if they say, Doc, that does not sound like a life worth living. I want to keep doing all the stuff I'm doing, but I want to like add in a few things that'll yeah. make my, or like do tiny tweaks that'll make me live till I'm 180. Yeah. Well, I don't think tiny tweaks will do that <laughs> for most of us. I mean, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But, you know, I think bringing things in to improve uh, antioxidant function into your life. So I'm a big fan of tea. I think there's a compelling amount of research showing that tea helps to improve uh, lowering inflammation and improving antioxidant function in the body. And that's like actual tea, not tisanes, like black tea, green tea, white tea. Yeah. And then you matcha. Can, <clears throat> the decaf teas will still have the catechins in them. So if you can't have caffeine, then try the decaf teas. Um, I think that lowering stress levels is something that's very uh people should look at. And what does that mean? I think that the human race has been here, you know, made it this far because we could handle a certain level of grit and stress. And in many ways, most of us in the West live a pretty unstressed life compared to what humans have gone through for eons. The problem is this different type of stress, the sort of insidious chronic stressors that's problematic. I think stress that our modern life has brought, which our genetics haven't caught up to. So looking at technology, looking at proper sleep, going back to that, making sure your body's sleeping and you're not inundated with too much blue light and stress from technology. Um, so I don't know if you're going to live to 200 years old by doing that, but I think increasing longevity and but is uh, one simple thing to do would be to lowering stress levels. What about if like I have to be on, I was reading this article recently about how blue light's like making your skin terrible and aging you. And I was like, I have to be on my computer all day. That's my job. Yeah. I get, you know, an hour and a half break where I get to talk to somebody in a podcast, which is super great. Best part of my day. And I have probably a few hours in the kitchen, which is really nice too. But for five to six hours a day, I have to be in front of my computer. And I think yeah. that's true of so many people. Yeah, there are uh, screen uh, you can settings uh, on your screen that you can change it and make it more. Yeah, I have flux on my computer. Do okay. you think that makes a difference? Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, they, and there's different apps if you're on your smartphone. There's the glasses as well. So you do the best you can to, you're not avoiding it entirely. You're not as far, as far as skin exposure. Yeah, you're not avoiding it entirely, but from an eye standpoint and a connection to the brain standpoint, you are improving that. Yeah. Do you think we're all going to be blind in like twenty years? I hope not. But uh, we, we're basically one big social experiment it's right now. It's crazy. It's crazy just how many things we're doing right now that has never been done before, yeah. and I just feel like we have no idea for a lot of things we do not know we act like we know but we don't know what do you do at home like what's do you do the glasses at home yeah and do you do them from like sundown to sleep no no i won't if i honestly haven't been looking at screens when i get home i'm normally just hanging out with my kids but if i am i will wear them if like we're watching like a family movie or something before bed then i'll do it um and do you have, are they the actual like red or orange ones that look sort of like worker goggles or do you have like the chic sort of? During the day, they look like the worker goggles at night. So um, I, I, True Dark, which is again, this is not sponsored, but True Dark sent me some and I've been wearing those. That's Dave Asprey's favorite yeah. brand, I think. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 
Um, so that's okay. what it, but they have different ones during the day. You don't have to look like you are like uh, in U2 in the evening with Bono's glasses. You can, they have like chicer ones that are lighter for the day during the day. Yeah, I've seen those. Sometimes I look at them though and I'm just like, oh, Dave Asprey doesn't like want me to have a sex life. You know, like, <laughs> they're just like, they're so not cute. And he wears, he came to the MBG office and he was like wearing his red ones, I think. And I did it once to the airport and I literally felt like I was like in a video game, like everything, <laughs> just looking around, I was like, I don't know, I'm going to go blind, but I, I don't can't. Go, I don't go that far. I lean into these practices, but I'm not obsessive about it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Let's, what about endometriosis? Um, it's getting more and more common. Is there any sort of top level things that people who are living with endometriosis or a lot of pain around their periods can do? Endometriosis and adenomyosis are two different autoimmune issues that are impacting female hormones. So the it's really when you look at the rise of endometriosis and adenomyosis, it's the rise of autoimmunity. It's really across the board. So it's you have to deal with the autoimmune attack against the endometrial lining in this case. But you know it's it's not a simple thing. It's multifaceted and I, I, there's no simple solution. There's no like take this supplement that's going to solve your yeah. endometriosis. It's it's a major deal. It's one of my top patient bases, but it's a lot of things and it's different things for different people. So Yeah, we, I have a friend, you know, Jess Mernan, she like yeah. um, had a lot of success with going plant-based for endo and it completely changed her life and yeah, it so made I, it so I've that- I've seen her write about that. Yeah, yeah, and it like made it so that she couldn't, she could like get out of bed and stuff yeah. like that. But then I know other people who like have gone paleo for endo and had equally amazing effects. Yeah. Which- I, I, but the commonality there is going off of sugar. Oh, interesting. And grain, like so many grains, like refined grains specifically. Right. So I think sugar's a, definitely a major disturber and it's been shown to cause flares in people for sure from an autoimmune standpoint. So yeah, decreasing sugar across the board is going to help a lot of things. Um, I love this one. With no scientific research on celery juice, but with all of the success anecdotally, what do you believe? Uh, I think it can be really good from a digestive support standpoint. I don't think it like cures all of our woes. I don't think it like does everything that the medical medium says it does. But it's it's a good thing. I've I use it in my clinic for people that have low stomach acid and helps to rebuild stomach acid and helps support healthy digestion. Just generally speaking, helps to uh, support a healthy, balanced microbiome. I I like it for that reason. But some people don't tolerate it. And then he says, Anthony Williams says, it's because it's too detoxing and it's killing off Epstein Barr virus, and that's the reason why it's causing a problem. When it's really not, these people have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO and the higher FODMAP, like sugar, fermentable sugars that are in celery juice are causing them to have horrible problems because of the the bacteria in the guts over consuming it. So not everything, it's not going to work for everybody. Yes, those people could go low and slow and work their way up and have find their own tolerance. So certainly, I'm not saying they shouldn't have celery juice, but they they can't have it in the amount that he's saying. He's saying have like two like big glasses. I think it's like yeah. 16 ounces a day. Not everybody can do that for sure. But that's the heart of functional medicine. It's finding out what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And even healthy things, what works for one person may not work for you. Way more good than bad. It de- definitely is, it helps support healthy digestion. 
which this is a great question for that, which is how should people navigate all of the trends? So you hear about keto, intermittent fasting, um, you hear about charcoal, you hear about celery juice. How should you just like dive in and try it? How do you find out if it's worthwhile? Uh, you could experiment with it as long as it's reputable and it is variable depending on the person. A lot of these things are, I would say most of these things are, if not all these things in wellness are safe, meaning that they're not going to kill anybody. And it's just a matter of, is it working for you or not? Or is your body tolerating it or not? Um, I, I don't want to be overly like, like arrogant here, but I think looking and under looking at us in functional medicine, not just me, but at Mark Hyman, David Perlmutter, and Alejandro Younger, and a lot of these guys in this space, to me, are a good middle ground for a lot of these things. Where we, a lot, a lot of us still see patients. Some of us still see patients there. And I think looking at what we say on these things, because of not just the research, whether there's research or not research, but just what have we seen work in people's lives. I think looking at those voices in wellness, not just those guys I mentioned, but people in functional medicine are looking at this as part of their job. That's what I always recommend to people. Um, I think that the websites and stuff are great. Obviously, I write for a number of them. Um, but I think going straight to doctor websites is also a great way to get sort of less uh, like enthusiastic information, yeah. like less clickbaity stuff. Yeah. So I always recommend yours. Also, let's shout out some women, Sarah Gottfried, Aviva yes. Ram. Um, so I think there's some Jolene Brighton is great for all sort of like hormone type Amazing. stuff. Some of the best people around for sure. Um, so I think going directly to doctor websites is a really great way to, um, I've also been really impressed even before I was writing full time. Sometimes I would email doctors and ask them their thoughts on something. And they would almost always, I remember when I was having really severe anxiety, I emailed, um, like the head of neuropsychology at Stanford and he like, wrote back to me and wow. gave me great information. That's and awesome. I think that uh, you can often get good. So if you're just like, hey, doc, like, what do you think of this? I yeah. think that's kind of cool. Very cool. Um, Robin yeah. Burson, I didn't mention her. Oh, yeah. Robin Burson is great. Yeah. Okay. Let's do maybe one more. And then I'll ask you the questions that I ask everybody. Um, let's do two more. Um, can you speak to IBS and sort of severe gut health issues? Yeah. So IBS is definitely on that inflammation spectrum without a doubt. And for some people, it's on that autoimmune inflammation spectrum where IBS is really some level of inflammatory bowel issues and it's just labeled as IBS. So there's IBS-C or IBS-D, IBS that are, it's more constipation and more diarrhea. Um, it's highly linked in the literature, and I would say I can confirm this both on a on a lab standpoint as to running labs on people, is that you'll see SIBO a lot at the times for IBS. Not everybody, certainly not everybody, but small intestinal bacterial overgrowth where you do a SIBO breath test and you can do a stool test to look at dysbiosis. You'll see this quite a bit. Um, so you have to deal with the underlying driver of what's causing the IBS in the first place. So we would um, do that, whether that's an antimicrobial protocol to kill off the bacteria overgrowth, whether that is obviously having foods that are gentle and soft and tolerable to the gut while the gut is healing. If it's IBSC supporting GI motility, like getting the body clearing out um, and not going two or three or four or five days without a bowel movement, making sure that's more consistent. And if it's IBSD, slowing things down um, from a flare up. 
So it's something we work on. It's not, not a quick fix. The gut takes time to heal for sure, but it's something that over a course of months, for some people closer to a year or beyond to get the place of optimal function. That doesn't mean they're waiting that long to feel better, but it means that they are incrementally trending in the right direction by dealing with these problems. Anybody that's on the other side will tell you it's definitely not a quick fix, but most people go to their doctor and they're just like, well, what's you know, you have IBS. Well, it's like, well, thanks. I know my gut is irritable. Why? And that's the question we ask in functional medicine. And for SIBO, I have to shout out my friend Phoebe Lapine's oh, podcast. She's, amazing. Yes. Um, she's working on a book about SIBO as well. I believe you're a guest on the podcast, yes. right? Um, mm-hmm. It's called SIBO Made Simple, and it is SIBO Made simple yeah. like she really she interviews all sorts of doctors has she she teaches me new stuff about and it's she personally had SIBO and yeah. has been sort of dealing with it in her own life so really. I think that's a really great resource so I was the second guest and I don't know if I can say this or not but I, I, I probably can I'm going to be writing the introduction to that book Super really pumped about that oh yeah. my god that's so cool so well hopefully I would, yeah I she's think, a great yeah. she just I just think she understands and is able to explain stuff often better than even a lot of doctors that I speak to. Yeah, so I think that's brilliant. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yay, Phoebe. She listens too. So I hope she's hearing <laughs> this. Um, okay. And here's the last one. We've talked a lot about like labs and tests and all of that. And I know that there's some great at-home tests these days. There's like thyroid tests at home. Are there certain tests that you definitely recommend people get to get an idea of where their health is at? Or how do people navigate that world? Really good question. So this is a sidebar in the inflammation spectrum for people that want to just have it visually written out um, and to know, because a lot of these you don't need a functional medicine doctor for. You can, these are tests you can order on your own through like different like direct labs and online lab sources where you just pay for the, a fee and then you go to a local lab or your general practitioner and have it covered through insurance or PCP. Uh, high sensitivity C-reactive protein would be one. That's an inflammatory protein. We want to under one. Uh, homocysteine is an inflammatory mo- marker. We want it under seven. That has to do with methylation and the MTHFR and the other methylation gene SNPs that we look at that I talked about before. And that's another one too. It's not covered by insurance, but 23andMe, you can look at the raw gene data and look at some SNPs there. I know I really want to do it, but Zach thinks that like if there were another like Holocaust that you know, like the Nazis would have used genetics yeah. against people if that were an option. Well, it's, I don't, not to get too conspiratorial right now, but it's happening right now. I just read it. They're doing it to migrants, actually. They're collecting DNA on migrants. And, and I don't even, that's how, that's mainstream news to talking wow. about that. So they're like, well, they're not going to do it for children. They're not going to do it for citizens yet. Yeah, so that like, and I guess the idea is that if the government turns again, not to get like into this divide, but if the government turns against you, they, they could get your DNA. So maybe yeah. it doesn't matter to do twenty. Yeah, to me, like it, that? that's my opinion is that they're going to get it anyway. So ultimately, at this point in the space where it is safe and these companies are providing good content, but you're right, the data itself yeah. could be used against people for sure. But at this point, it's not for citizens, but it's really, honestly, it's, it is crazy that we even need to think about that. Yeah, we just well, but it's to- also where only like what five or six years into people not being able to be denied healthcare because of pre-existing conditions. So then if you have your entire genetic history, imagine if they started denying people healthcare based on that. Totally. No, there's definitely some pitfalls on that. Uh, But you still think it's like the juice is worth the squeeze? I think that you can get more good stuff than negative stuff from it at this point. Uh, So I totally respect people that want to not do it. Uh, I've done it before. I, I it was helpful for me to understand certain parts of my health that I didn't know. And I could support my body in ways 
to mitigate the potential risk factors that are associated with certain gene variants. And look, I don't want to be overly reductionist to methylation gene SNPs. Methylation or detox or you know, fatty acid metabolism is a lot more complex than just looking at one biomarker on a lab, <laughs> one gene SNP. Um, but these are tools that research shows that you can support and um, optimize your wellness. Um, and uh, ferritin is another one that you can go through insurance or get yeah, a ferritin. F- ferritin, just ferritin. It's a biomarker for stored iron, F-E-R-R-I-T-I-N. But uh, it is a biomarker to gauge for stored iron, but it's also an acute phase reactant. So basically, in states of inflammation, ferritin can spike. Uh, and then a very simple glucose, blood sugar, like fasting. We want it under 90 in functional medicine. We want the A1C below 5.6, 5.5. And is that would that just be like waking up in the morning, taking a finger prick? You'd want it under 90? Yes. Yeah. You could go to the lab to get a full workout okay. but yeah if you have a glucometer you want to under 90 now some people have a dawn phenomenon meaning their glucose is slightly higher in the morning and it could be normal for them it's just the variance of cortisol rhythm which is upregulating glucose it may be normal for them people that fast that are lower carb or keto they can have a higher dawn phenomenon and it's what's considered physiological insulin resistance not pathological and it's completely normal it's basically a glucose sparing effect in the brain but generally speaking if you talk to ifm the institute for functional medicine they'll say under 90 but i you have to put it in context with the health history and what the person's doing triglycerides under 100 that's the optimal range uh, HDL, LDL, and then if you want to go a little bit step higher, running an NMR test, which is the nuclear magnetic resonance, it measures your particles that carry cholesterol. All these tests are low cost or covered by insurance. Um, and the process is you go to your your normal doctor and you just say, I would like this list of tests. Yeah, you would mention those labs and say, I want these ran, and they have to be willing to run them and put the proper diagnosis codes on there. Um, But from a screening standpoint, it's really beneficial to get a really basic metabolic panel, looking at insulin levels, seeing where your insulin levels are at, uh, because that's a sign of longevity is having healthy balance insulin levels. So yeah, those are some metabolic and inflammatory markers that anybody can run. And obviously in functional medicine, we can run more expanded versions of that. But I'm talking about if someone's not seeing one. Um, and what about those like other at-home tests? Like there's at-home thyroid, there's the poop tests for like uh, your microbiome, there's uh, food sensitivity tests you can take at home. Are those legitimate? Uh, they are they're, They are legitimate. I don't know many people in functional medicine that use those labs from like a practical application standpoint, specifically the microbiome test. It's a really a lot of good data. Generally speaking, you look at bacterial diversity. It's interesting. Uh, I don't know many of us in functional medicine that say we take that information and we go make lifestyle changes off of that. Why? Because it's not looking at, we don't understand the full breadth of how we modulate the microbiome in a positive direction. We can see like this is certain strand is associated with this or this certain colony forming unit bacteria is associated with this. It's very much we don't know the practical application of that. In theory, you can do all sorts of things. I'm sure certain practitioners have certain theories on stuff. But generally speaking, the things that I'm looking at for on a microbiome test is, is there dysbiosis? And then in some cases, what are the colony forming units? What other types of neighborhoods of bacteria that are having dysbiosis? Is there pathogenic bacteria? 
any yeast and fungal overgrowth, how's digestion and absorption, how's inflammation in the gut, where's intestinal permeability or leaky gut syndrome. Those are the things they look at. You're not getting all those biomarkers on those at-home tests. Not to say you couldn't. There may be there's other labs out there that could provide that data, but the ones that I am aware of don't provide that data. Um, so I'm not saying it's not good. I still look at it and I still understand it. I do think it's so interesting though because we're we're so big on we know the gut is so important, but we do know so little about it. Do you fall on the side of like probiotics are generally good for everybody and that there's no negative effect of taking a probiotic? Uh well, there can be negative effects of taking probiotics. People that have some dysbiosis and SIBO could have flare-ups in theory from that. But probiotics or beneficial bacteria are regulatory. They can have sort of a Herxheimer response for some people with a dysbiosis. They can cause sort of a detox symptoms in some people. And obviously if there's added prebiotics or something in the probiotics, that can cause a flare-up for some people too. But generally speaking, they are safe. And the research shows they do improve probiotic bacterial diversity. But once you stop taking them, it tends to kind of go back down. Um, So other than getting a fecal transplant, and even that's not one and done. It takes time too. There's not much that's going to improve bacterial diversity other than fecal transplant and looking at prebiotics for people that uh, should be taking them from the foods that we eat. So I'm actually, from a bacterial diversity, I much prefer prebiotic foods, fiber from plant foods, more than probiotics. Do you take a probiotic every day? Not every day. But like, yeah, I do occasionally. The thing I always wonder about probiotics is like whether because we don't know exactly what's supposed to be in there and like the makeup of it, if we're taking like the same seven strains over and over and over, if we're creating our own dysbiosis by doing that. Yeah. And that, that's to me why I don't take it every day. I, I like diversity. I'll have fermented foods some days. I'll take probiotics some days. I think variety is important. Bacterial diversity is important. Uh, so I actually have a lot of patients do rotating different probiotics. That's what I do. I take yeah. like three or four different types and I yeah. rotate between them, which I like to do. And then I do fermented foods as well. Yeah. All right. I have a few questions I like to ask everybody. Um, what is there a place that you've been in the world where you feel like the people that live there really got it right in terms of living a healthier, happier life? And if so, where was it? Yeah, I, I, I would say Hawaii. <laughs> There's something really magical and spiritual about like Maui. I think, look, there's a lot of, it's still part of the United States and has a lot of dysfunction too. But I think that there's something culturally going on from an ancestral perspective, like the traditional Hawaiian culture that has a lot of things right. Like what? Just a slower pace of life, a concept of community a love and mutual respect amongst other people. There's a certain level of peace to that uh, and their connection to the earth. Those to me are are things that I've been impressed the times I've been in Hawaii. Didn't you go there on your honeymoon or something? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I did. Good memories. Maui. Yeah, Maui is my place. So we went, we just went in September though too. A couple of times it was fun. With the kids? With the kids, family, my wife's from LA. So for those Californians, her family, it's like quite an easy flight yeah. for us on the East coast. It's like, Oh my god, 11 gosh. hours from here. If you go direct, which is like the longest flight I've ever done, but yeah, it but was worth it when you get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, why is one purchase you've made that you feel like has made your life healthier or happier? 
just is it food or anything? Literally anything. Like Kate said, her Peloton and oat milk. Okay. Well, I don't want to take Kate's answer, but I love my Peloton. I really love it. I know. I want one. They're just like, they're so expensive. And then also you're in my apartment right now, but like, I'm like, where would I put this? But yeah. they are, I've stayed at hotels that have them and it's really cool. And I also just love how like easy it is to work out every day. Yeah. I love the simplicity of it. But I think in many ways, like my laptop and just going on YouTube and doing workouts is like such a cool, I use it so much. Like yeah. I am such a YouTube freak for workouts, but also just learning and Literally, you can learn anything on YouTube. Like, I yes. love, um, do you, like, know Crash Course or SciShow? Or they're, like, these, like, literally online shows that are designed to teach you about everything from, like, U.S. history to, like, your microbiome. And they awesome. create lectures on it and stuff. I just think it's, I'm, I love YouTube so much. So much. It's not so much wellness, but from an intellectual standpoint. And I learn a lot of wellness stuff on YouTube, too. Just different people, hearing different people's views on things. It's fascinating. Um, yeah, so those are two things that I really love. I love a sauna too. You have a sauna? Yeah, I have the- Oh my God, I'm so jealous. But I don't have room in my home for like the big proper ones, but I have- Are you out in the country? Yeah, I do, but I have like, my home isn't that big. It isn't really big. It's bigger than like a New York apartment. Bigger than my home. (laughs) (laughs) You and everybody else in New York, but, uh, it's still not big enough to like have it it would be it would be crammed i don't have the best spot for it but i do have one of sunlighten's uh solo systems what's that which is like a semi-circle you could totally have it here because no, you, you, you really? can collapse oh yes you can you could collapse it and put it in a closet or set it up against the wall because it's just a basically a plastic not plastic but fiberglass i don't know what it's made from metal uh like semi-circle and you just literally get into it like a mummy and it's and you think saunaing is like worth the hype too? Yeah, I don't sweat enough being in an office. Like I only really sweat when I'm working out. But I, I try to bring more of that in. You, and why? Why is sweating good for you? Just support detox pathways is the main reason. Yeah, because back to that methylation problem I have. So supporting detox is a good thing. I'm sorry about your methylation problem. <laughs> um, what is the best way to spend 20 minutes every day in the name of health or happiness? Uh. I think our culture needs more stillness and silence. So I think off of technology, closing your eyes and just being mindful of your breath for 20 minutes would change our world in many ways. I agree with that. Um, Okay, two more. Do you feel successful? Yeah, I do. Why? I I feel successful. Um, I'm first and foremost successful because of my kids. When I see them, I'm like, okay, you're the best project that I've (laughs) done so far. You're like the... It's really cool to see them like grow up like they're 13 and 10 now. I know. I'm so curious. They're such like perfect kids and maybe they're not if you live with them. They're not perfect. Um, But I'm curious to see if they ever go through that period. Like it's really cute. They travel with Will and they like he uses, you know, coming to New York for an event as an opportunity to take like a solo trip with a kid and uh, go to a show or a restaurant or something like that. But I'm curious if they're ever going to go through that thing where they're like, I hate you. I don't want to hang out with you. It probably could happen, it, and I. Every kid's going goes through the journey and looks different. Um, but yeah, but the, I feel totally successful because of them, and I've just been blessed that I can do what I love and impact people around the world through consulting them and writing books and talking about it. So I feel successful in all those categories. Do you does having more fame or money impact that at all for you? No, it doesn't. Influence influence impacts that because you can know you're impacting more life, but it's not about like 
fame or it's not about people. It's just the influence that it is. But I guess it goes hand in hand in our social media culture, maybe. But it doesn't have to be. Because I, cause I, to me, like influencing patients and improving their life and talking to them about these things, to me, is like the most rewarding thing ever. Um, but like the podcast or the books, like to me, it's like I just keep thinking about, wow, like when you look at the Amazon book number on like how the book's doing, I just think of all the people I'm never going to be able to meet getting something positive in their life. That's really cool because we're not like in you too. We're not we're not talking about something like that's not enriching in someone's life. We actually are edifying people's lives in many ways. Yeah, but it is interesting how quickly you can lose sight of that when you're not meeting. Like when I have my live events, I feel like I'm making a way bigger difference just because I'm meeting the people I'm talking to versus when I write an article that I know I can see the numbers as read by like 200,000 people. It still just feels like numbers, you know? Yeah, um, it is. You're right. We have to go go past that. But I, I'm... Which is why I'm sure seeing patients is like... Yeah, patient, I won't, I never want to trade that in because it keeps me sharp. It's like so good and it's so enriching. I get to start my day off every day, like talking about all the people we're going to impact. It's my favorite part of my job. What about when you're like hanging out with Gwyneth Paltrow? Does that make you feel cool? (laughs) That doesn't hurt. hurt. Do you have any Gwyneth Paltrow gossip? Whenever anybody is like friends or met a celebrity, I'm always like, give me your Oprah gossip. Give me your Jessica Alba gossip. That's the Marie Forleo and Kelly Levesque episodes if you need that gossip. But do you have any (laughs) Gwyneth gossip? Gwyneth, she's a cool person. I mean, she loves wellness just as much as us. And it's cool to see somebody that like, like I was walking around LA the other day and I saw like her in a billboard uh, of one of like the politician show that, that she's in on Netflix. And I've, in the context of Goop and all that, I just see all the cool things they're doing in the wellness space that I forget that she's like an actress first. Yeah. So yeah, it's cool. But no, she's no, no, no dirt on it. No gossip. <laughs> Pretty boring. Um, she smokes like a cigarette a year, I heard. Oh, really? I don't know. Yeah, that. I think she smokes like one or two a year. She um, hides that from me. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, and this is the last one. What is one big mistake you've made and what's one thing you really feel like you got right? What's one mistake that I made? One big mistake. Okay. And do that one first so we end on a positive note. And then one thing you really got right. Okay, this is good. So the one mistake that I made, and I make it all the time, it's not trusting the process. It's it's part of my anxiety. It's feeling like I have, like, it's not the way that I wanted it to be, or it's not the way that I thought it was going to be, or it's not the way that I planned and fretting about it and have anxiousness about what's to come. That's the mistake I make every time I do it. And... I tend to do it a lot, but less than I used to. And then... Is there a mental dialogue you do when you find yourself doing that? It's to me, going back to that centering, like mindfulness breathing, to me, that's clarity and realizing I'm not my thought and my emotions, but the observer of them. To me, that separation, that observing awareness is so much better than being so locked up into your physiology that you are thinking that your emotions and your thoughts are 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 you who you are so that's that's going back to the mind the mindfulness practice but and then the biggest what's thing, one thing you really got right oh wow um one thing that i got right i guess meeting my wife she's the best thing that's happened to me because wow. she's just amazing like i look at people that 
have partners that maybe aren't as supportive or don't get it or I can imagine it'd be really difficult like do what you love or like for me like being consulting patients all day long then traveling on long weekends like that tough she's so selfless and like holds her own like she's doing amazing things like holding women's groups and she's just amazing and I want to be like her when I grow up (laughs) she is very sweet all right well thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast well thanks for having me All right. That's our first episode of Ask the Doctor. I hope that I answered your questions. I definitely tried to get to as many of the ones that I got on Instagram as possible. And I hope that you guys love this format. I'm thinking maybe do it once every quarter. I don't know. Give me feedback on Instagram. If you loved it, definitely please leave an iTunes rating or review. And remember that you can screenshot those and tag me on Instagram to be entered to receive one of my little wellness favorite products care packages. And then also, if you would like a free copy of my healthy Thanksgiving ebook, you can get that with your review of the podcast as well. All right. I'll see you guys on the next episode. I hope you have a great one. If you have dry skin, this is going to be your holy grail. I've loved, loved, loved the Osea Andaria Algae Body Butter for years. It is so rich and creamy and lush, but it sinks right into your skin and it makes your entire body feel moisturized and not greasy at all. I actually do not understand how it's so not greasy and yet so, so hydrating. As fall approaches, I'm leaning into mini spa energy, these micro relaxing moments you can insert throughout your day. Because peppering your day with tiny bits of calm can have huge impacts on overall cortisol levels, on your anxiety, even how you sleep at night, and the smell of the body butter. Holy cow, it is pure spa energy. You get that like laying on the massage table, melting energy. It is phenomenal. I've gone through at least four tubs of this personally, and that is saying something because it lasts a long ass time. A little bit goes a very long way. I also always keep extras on hand to give out as gifts. It uses ingredients that you would normally see in face care products like seaweed, ceramides, glycerin, which I am obsessed with for hydration and think is so underrated, amino acids, even a skin-identical moisture complex. Also, here is a little tip. If you want to amp up its hydrating power even more, put it on damp skin right after the shower to really lock in all of that moisture and hydration. Like all Osea products, it's formulated with real seaweed to take advantage of its nutrient-rich benefits like deep moisturization. It's also vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Osea has actually been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years. And I personally absolutely love how everything is ethically tested and sourced. For clean body care that gives you skincare-level results, you've got to try Osea. And right now we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code LizMoody at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and orders over $60 get free shipping. While you're there, get the body butter, of course, but I'm also obsessed with the Vegas Nerve Oil and Pillow Mist, both of which help so much with my anxiety. I love rubbing the oil on my hands and inhaling deeply before I meditate to make it feel more intentional and calming and grounding. You are going to want it all. Go to OSEAMalibu.com, promo code Liz Moody.